Acts chapter 15, verse 39. I read this last week, but just going to read it again briefly just to kind of segue into our study tonight. Acts 15, 39. There arose a sharp disagreement. Uh, this is between Barnabas and Paul. They had a disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what we're, what we're beginning tonight is the second missionary journey of Paul the Apostle. And we've been studying the first missionary journey for several weeks, and now we're transitioning to his second missionary journey. And what started this journey off was a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. And I'm not going to rehash that because we spent all the last week on it talking about, you know, the type of person Paul was and the type of person Barnabas was and how both really are needed in the church. Both are wildly different personalities, but both are needed in the church. And so this is where we're going to begin in chapter 16, Paul's second missionary journey. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Paul's missionary. second missionary journey. And first, actually, I think we have both. We've got two maps I want to show you tonight. The first one is the the first missionary journey that we looked at uh, last week, or actually a couple weeks ago. I want to show you that one first. And I don't think I told you which was which, Doug. So if you get it wrong, don't worry about it. We'll just switch it around. There's only two of them. You got a 50-50 shot. Let's see. Okay, yeah, I think you nailed it. Good job. So that's the first missionary journey. And they look very similar because uh, it's the same map, just different arrows. That's why, you know, we might would miss it. But this is the first missionary journey, and we looked at uh, this at the beginning. And you'll see, if you can see that, let me see if you can, yeah, it's pretty good. So if you notice off to, to the right of the map in Syria, where the blue and the red lines come together, that's Antioch. You see that right up there in the corner of Syria? So that's where all of this is happening out of. Antioch, the church at Antioch is where Paul And Barnabas really got their start. And this is where Paul served there for some years. And then they got sent out on this first missionary journey. So you can see they went south to the island of Cyprus. If you follow the blue line, they went south. Then they they went up into Pamphylia. And then they went across Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. That's where things got really exciting because Paul got stoned and left for dead. And then, you know, all these things happened. And then they, they planted churches there. Now, on this missionary trip, if you'll notice in the green there, you'll see at the very top, it says Galatia. And that whole region, that whole green area is the region of Galatia. And that's where the book of Galatians was written to. It was written to these these little cities in the bottom. When Paul addressed the book of Galatians uh, to Galatia, this is Galatians chapter 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. See, it's not just one church, it's to the the churches. So if we go back to the map, that's going to be Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and even another city called Antioch. Everywhere that he was going through these cities, he he was planting churches in this area And that was the area of Galatia. So when he wrote the book of Galatians, he said, to the churches of Galatia. And what they would do is they would receive that message. You can see the cities aren't very far apart. They'd receive that letter. They'd read it, and then they'd pass it on. Either they'd make copies, 
and, and pass it on, and they'd keep it, and then they'd reread it again and again, over and over again. So when you read the book of Galatians, what you're reading is you're reading uh, a letter from a missionary, an apostle, that went through these areas and preached the gospel for the first time to these people at Iconium and Derby and Lystra and these other places. They, they preach the gospel. For, they're hearing the message of Jesus about what happened for the very first time. And then after he leaves, he's writing a letter to them to strengthen them and say, Hey, uh, I, I want to keep teaching you. I want to keep showing you things that maybe you didn't see. I spent a lot of time with you. I showed you a lot of things. But now I want to deal with these specific issues. So when you read the book of Galatians, that's what you're reading. Okay, so on the first missionary journey... Um, the churches of Galatia were established, and it was a relatively short trip compared to the second one. Again, if you, if you look here, basically once they get to Derby, they turn around and they go back, and that whole trip lasted one year, about one year. So now if we go to the second map, if we go to the second map, you're going to see the, uh, the, the second journey here, and you can see that this one, and I can't hardly see that, lights are in my eyes. No, we're still on the first map there. Okay, so maybe we missed, maybe we didn't get the second one in. Uh, I'll have to show you that one next week. But uh, this, on the second map, it's a lot longer. It's a whole different route. Uh, and this trip actually lasted three years. Uh, as a, actually, yeah, three to, three to four years. So you can see the second journey was a lot longer. Um, just a few things about this trip that you're gonna that you're gonna notice as we go through it. Uh, we get some major churches planted in this in this in this time. This is where uh, Paul goes to Philippi, so we get the Philippian church. He goes to Thessalonica, so we get the the church of the Thessalonians. He goes to Corinth, so we get the first and second Corinthians to them. He goes to Ephesus, so we get the Ephesian church. All this happens during this second missionary journey. Not only that, this is when he picks up Timothy and Luke, which obviously become very prominent you know, people in our Bible. You hear so much about Timothy and, and Luke. So in this chapter, actually chapter 16, is where you're going to notice, because Luke wrote the book of Acts, but up until chapter 16, if you notice the whole time, Luke is saying they. And it's in chapter 16 that it turns to we, which he's, he's saying they went here, they did this. In chapter 16, it turns into we went there and we did this. So this is on this trip is when actually Luke becomes no longer just a person who is having this information relayed to him by the Apostle Paul, but from, ver from chapter 16 on, he's actually a part of the story. Luke's actually there. He's an eyewitness. He's, he's seeing everything that's happening. Those are the things that he's writing down. And that's one reason from chapter 16 on, uh, you, get, you start to get a little bit different of, of a, like a history almost from chapter 16 on, because now Luke's an eyewitness to all these things that's happening. He's not just you know, relaying information from Paul, which was perfectly fine, but uh, and Peter and other guys, but now he's actually there. So Paul picks up Timothy and Luke. I mean, we're going to talk about Timothy in just a minute, but but Paul really did not have another person like Timothy that was so loyal to him and so close to him. And we're going to you know read more about him. It's on this missionary journey 
uh, that Paul and Silas are put in prison and they have an earthquake that breaks them out and the prison guards are saved and all that, that's going to come. This is where Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth and they become an instrumental part of the Corinth church. So a lot of exciting things that happen on this missionary journey. Probably the, the biggest and most important things that happen is, number one, the churches that were planted. Again, you know, the, the Philippian church, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, uh, you know, all of these letters we have in the New Testament come because on this journey, Paul is having fruit and he's, he's having good success in these cities and churches are planted. And then later he's coming back and he's writing letters to them and he's encouraging them and things like that. And, and probably the second most important thing that happened on this trip was adding Timothy and Luke to his, to his team, you could say. And the, you can't really overestimate how important Paul's traveling companions are. And you're going to see that especially on this missionary journey. Now, if you pay attention as we go through this and you, <clears throat> you, you watch this missionary journey, you're going to see how important Paul's companions that he travels with are. And the reason they were so important is, you know, as we talked last week about Paul, you've got to put yourself in Paul's position. Paul is a Navy SEAL, Army Ranger of Christianity. He is just so loyal and so committed, and he's got this massive life calling. This, remember, Jesus showed up to him on the road to Damascus. He said, I've called you. You've been persecuting me. Now I'm turning your whole life around. And he took all of that zeal that he had of persecuting the church and, go, and fighting against God to now he's so passionate about getting the gospel message out, getting the word of God out, planting churches. And it's, and it's very, very difficult and it's very, very hard work. And if you've ever experienced that where you have a, a, something you're trying to accomplish and the people that you, you, know, you need people to help you do it, but they just don't seem to understand how important it is. You know, they don't seem to get it. And so you're trying to get some of your passion into them. And it just, it's frustrating, you know, because you want to just shake them and go, man, do you not understand how important this is? Do you not see how valuable this is? And Paul just had that perspective, but it didn't seem like the people that were with him always had that, that perspective. And so that's why I read to you last week the long list of Paul's traveling companions. It was a long list because he was constantly going through them. Well, and then it became so important who traveled with him because of the way he had to do things. You know, he would go to, on some of these trips, like on this one in particular, he might go to 12, 15, 18 cities on this journey. He doesn't know setting out where he's going to have fruit. He doesn't know if I'm going to be at one place two days or if I'm going to be there two months. In one case, in his third missionary journey, we're going to see in some weeks, uh, you know, in his third missionary journey, he was at Ephesus for two years. He didn't even, but, but see, starting out, he didn't know that. So imagine the, the type of people you got to have with you starting out on this missionary journey. Well, how long are we going to be gone? Have no idea. Have no idea. Well, where are we going? Don't know. I, I can tell you the first city we're going to, but after, I can't tell you what's going to happen at the first city, and I can't tell you how long we're going to be there. If, if we have fruit and we make disciples and God is with us, we could be there for several years before we move on to the next city. And then when he would move on, it, let's say the work was very effective. 
and he wanted to continue, he felt like the Lord was leaving off. Well, sometimes he would leave people behind. So now you really see how crucial it is that he's having travel because sometimes he would, when he would have fruit and he would leave, he might leave Timothy behind or he might leave, you know, Silas behind or any of these guys that were with him while he continued going on to the work. Well, he, these have to be people that he can trust to literally get this infant, this infant baby church off the ground Someone who's going to stay there and teach and preach and put in the grit and the work to, to birth these churches from nothing. And then, uh, you know, some weeks, months down the road, they've, they've got to be people that have enough grit to figure out how to get from where they were at to meet up with Paul. This is after, you know, excuse me, before email, cell phones, any of that. How's Timothy, if I leave you in one city and I go ahead several months and weeks to hear, how are you going to catch up and meet me? I can't just call you up and tell you where I'm at. So they have to be people that are resourceful, that have grit, that have the want to, you know, that have the fire in the gut, that if I leave you there, you're going to do the work, but not only that, you have the, the grit and the work ethic and everything involved, the passion, the common sense, the wisdom, the being led by the Spirit to be able to hook back up with me uh, later down the road, and then I might leave you there again, and, and all of this goes into it. You know, and these people had to be people that were 100% devoted to the gospel. Their, their devotion and their passion, it had to at least approach where Paul's was because the work was going to be so hard and Paul just did not have time for whiners, complainers, weak people. He didn't have time for that. Now, in the churches he pastored, I'm sure he was very compassionate to those type of people, but not when it came to people that are on my team helping me lead and plant these churches because this is about as hard as it gets. And even some places we go, we're going to have to figure out how to make money in that city. That's why he was a tent maker. He said, you know, if you read several times uh, as you go through the Bible, Paul even explains to the churches. He says, hey, when I was with you, did I take a dime from y'all? I never took a dime. He said, I could have. Maybe y'all even offered it. He said, but for what God was doing at that time, I didn't feel like that was right. He said, so I went and worked with my own hands. I provided my own food. I paid for my own way. And for those people that were with me, we covered all of our own expenses so that you could receive the gospel. So everywhere they went, that's how it was. Didn't know where they were going to stay. Didn't know where they were going to sleep. Didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Didn't know how they were going to pay for things. Didn't know how long they were going to be there. Didn't know if they were facing persecution, beatings, imprisonment, resistance, demons. <laughs> Didn't know what they were facing, how long they were going to be gone. So you can see, I mean, we understand Paul was like that. But he needed the people that were with him to be like that. Because otherwise, the whole time that, you know, that we're, that we're on these journeys, I'm worried about you and you're whining and you're complaining and you're wanting to quit and you're wanting to go home you're wanting to know when the next break is and, and I don't have time for that. Paul just saying, I don't have time for that. I'm here for one purpose. And the man was a soldier. And he needed these people that were with him to be like that and think like that. And if you didn't think like that and that, that wasn't who you are, there's a place for you in the body of Christ, but it's not with me on these missionary trips. That was how he... Thought, and of course, we explained that last week, but that was why he and Barnabas had the, the difference and the division. They just, and by the way, Barnabas and Mark did go on their own missionary journey. And my guess, the Bible doesn't explain it or tell us what happened to them, but my guess is that their trip was a lot slower pace. They was, pre they was probably staying, you know, at the Hilton and 
eating the, the bed and breakfasts and things like that, and they took their time, and it was just a lot. And there's, again, perfectly fine. People are different. You know, they have different gifts, and God used them, I'm sure. But they were not like Paul, and they, you know, they were just different. So Paul's traveling companions were crucial. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough, how crucial the companions and the people that have. And so many times when we look at the New Testament, we don't ever even think about that. We know Paul, we know Peter, we know James, we know John, and we think, oh yeah, these are the, these are the superstars, these are the big shots. But there were so many people that were instrumental in this, in this work. Uh, for example, the, the church of Colossae, the church at Colossians, most people think was planted by a guy named Erasmus. Well, he was, he was one of Paul's traveling companions. He didn't even personally plant that church. Uh, but they were so instrumental. So he had to have people like him that could do that. And that just gives you a little insight, number one, into who Timothy must have been. Because Paul, Timothy earned Paul's respect. You could clearly see Paul was not a man that just gave out respect easily. And for you to earn the respect of Paul the Apostle in the way that Timothy did, it tells us who Timothy must have been. But we're going to get to that in a minute. Acts chapter 16, let's start there. Uh, so remember, they've already started the second missionary journey. And it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Remember, these are uh, places that they already went to on the first one. So now they're coming back. They're kind of revisit. They're starting their journey out by revisiting. Actually, let's show the first map again, Doug, um, because even on the first map, you'll be able to see the, if you look at Antioch, you see how they went south first last time? This time they went the opposite way. Again, this is not the correct map, so the arrows, just ignore the arrows. But this time, instead of going south, they went north, and they went back the same way uh, that they left off last time. So they went through uh, Galatia again in that area, and they hit Derby, Iconium, Lystra, those places. That's where they start. So that's where we're at in uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. This is where Paul first meets Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so we meet Timothy here. Let me just tell you a little bit about Timothy, because Timothy becomes such an instrumental part of Paul's ministry and the New Testament. Uh, Paul literally at one point, begins to look at Timothy like a son. You know, remember, Paul wasn't married. He didn't have his own children. But Paul begins to look at Timothy like a son. And he, that's how he refers to him in, in multiple places in the New Testament. Now, Timothy, Timothy's mother was a woman named Eunice, and his grandmother was a woman named Lois. And they were likely converted on the first missionary journey. So when Paul comes back through... You have the grandmother, Lois, who was converted on the first missionary journey. Apparently, she spread the word to her daughter, Eunice, and then eventually Timothy uh, 
becomes a believer as well. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul writes to Timothy. This is at the very end of Paul's ministry. 2 Timothy, a lot of people think 2 Timothy is the very last book of, uh, that Paul ever wrote. So at the very end of his ministry, uh, he writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you, talking to Timothy, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So we kind of get that idea that he, was, he received salvation because his grandmother and his mother were believers. They were strong believers. They were likely converted on that first missionary journey. And then they, in the time that Paul was gone, between the first and second one, you know, Timothy receives the gospel as well. We don't know much about uh, Timothy's father, except that he's mentioned, he's mentioned that his father was a Greek, but that's all we hear about him. He's really not mentioned from that point. So there's either one or two things going on. Because in that time, and you know this from reading the Bible... The, the, the men and the role of men was always very much emphasized. And if, and if his father had had any role in him coming to Christ, that's what would be mentioned, not his grandmother and his mother. That's just the way the Bible was, and that's how people thought during that time. So he's not even mentioned. Uh, and so either he was not a believer, this is what you know is not clear, either he was not a believer at all, or... Some people think that he was dead by this time and that really Timothy was being raised by his mother and grandmother. But either way, he didn't receive that faith from his father. He received it from his mother and from his grandmother. Also, it seems that Timothy had been taught the Old Testament as a child uh, even before you know, they received the gospel. So remember, his, his mother and grandmother were Jewish, and it does seem like they were practicing Jews because in 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, And how from, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he makes the point that from the time you were a child, you had been taught the, the sacred writings. Well, the only sacred writings that Paul would have been aware of was our Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written at that point. And plus, whenever Paul met Timothy, he would not really have been considered a child. He was actually, you know, he, he was in his 30s. He was probably about 33 years old uh, right around that time. And Paul was probably about 48 years old at that time. So you kind of see that age difference. Paul's about 15 years older or so than Timothy. But Timothy, a lot of times people think Timothy was young because Paul talked to him about his youth. But in Paul's mind, 33, you know, to be pastor in a church or lead was a big deal. So he said, you know, don't worry about your youth. You need to be confident. But Timothy was about 30, you know, 30 to 33 years old. Um, what's interesting about... What's interesting to me about Paul meeting Timothy uh, at, you know, Iconium, Lystra, this area, if you remember from the first journey, that's where he had the most trouble. You remember, he, he goes in, and this was where he got stoned, left for dead, and then gets up and goes back in the city. Gets up and goes back in the city. This was where he had the most 
the most trouble. After he gets stoned uh, there, he goes on to Derby, and then he turns around and goes back through there again and, and ministers there again on his way through. I made a joke, you know, the first time that he probably went a little quieter, a little more discreeter the second time, but still he went back. He met with all those believers again. He strengthened them all again. And I just can't help but think, you know, ha- this relationship between him and Timothy Timothy becomes one of the greatest blessings in Paul, really you could in Paul, Paul's whole life. I mean the it's almost like Paul the the seeds that he sowed he reaped them back in Timothy. Like how hard he gave and sacrificed it was like God blessed him with someone like Timothy because he didn't have a lot of people like Timothy. And it was a blessing to have somebody like Timothy. It was like a reward almost to have somebody with that level of faithfulness and, and heart and, and all of that. And they ended up being together for about 20 years from that point on, you know, until Paul died. And I'll show you this eventually. I think, I think we get to it uh, tonight. But, you know, Timothy was there all the way up until Paul was martyred, until Paul was killed. Timothy was, was part. And the very last thing that Paul writes, the very last thing that he writes in the book of 2 Timothy is asking Timothy to come see him. Hey, I need you. I need you to come see me. He said, I, I miss you. I want you, to, I want you to come see. Come encourage me. And so that relationship went on for, from this moment, this is where they meet, and then 20 plus years, you know, they have that. And I can't help but think that what Paul invested in this area, which it just happened to be the, the most difficult, the hardest city that he was experiencing, was also where the greatest fruit came out of, as far as, you know, that having that relationship with Timothy. And man, isn't that how it works sometimes? Like the one spot where you want to give up and you think, man, is this really worth it? And you can't even see what God is, is doing there. I, I, I know I have no evidence for this. It's just pure speculation. But I, it makes me wonder, just the, after being stoned, and then he decided to go back through that second time, I'm thinking, man, what if that was when the grandma received the gospel was on the way back through? You know, what if, what if she missed it the first time, and then on his way back is when she got it, and then that resulted in Timothy and all that? It's pure speculation. Don't, please don't quote that. I'm just wondering. That's just me wondering out loud. You know, what if that was the case? But either way, I think the point is for us, well, there's a lot of points. My goodness. I mean, just to look at Paul's life and his dedication and then that relationship between him and, and Timothy. Uh, so Paul becomes, uh, Timothy becomes someone that Paul would regularly send in his place. And you see this in the writings of the New Testament where he, he's writing to people and he says, look, I couldn't be there myself, but I'm sending Timothy. He's coming and I, he, this is what he says, I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will care for you, who will look after your own interests instead of his own. He says, I've got no one like him. So whenever Paul couldn't be somewhere... He would send Timothy in his place. That's how much confidence he had in him. Uh, When Paul is imprisoned in Rome, beginning in 61 AD, at the end of his fourth missionary journey, and yes, we're going to get to the third, fourth, not this semester, by the way. We only have like three weeks left, but when Paul's in prison and he's at the end of his fourth missionary journey in Acts chapter 28, so we're all the way at the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, Uh, Verse 16, while he's in prison, he writes four epistles 
And three of them mentioned Timothy being with him. So this is all the way at the end of his ministry, end of the missionary journey, end of the book of Acts. He's in prison. He writes four epistles, and in three of them, he mentions specifically that Timothy is with him in, while he's in prison. Think about that. Timothy, Paul's in prison, and somebody who's so closely related with him, Timothy, he's hanging out. He, he's still worried about Paul. He's still ministering to Paul. I mean, I know he's going and coming because he's got to take care of the churches, but he's, again, three times out of four epistles that he writes, Paul mentions that Timothy's with him while he's in prison, ministering to Paul. It's just amazing. Uh, just before his death, he requests his closest friend Timothy visit him and bring his personal copies of his writings. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4. And then after, well after Paul's death, uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs mentions that uh, Timothy was martyred in 97 A.D. That's 97 years after Christ's death. Um, He's mentioned the Fox Book of Martyrs upholding the uh, truth of the Bible. It states that he was the bishop at Ephesus when he was martyred. So uh, 97 A.D. minus, sorry, the 33 years of Jesus' life. So 60 some odd years after Jesus' death, this is when Timothy dies. So on this missionary journey is when Paul and Timothy connect. And then as you read through the New Testament in your own reading, in your own time, anytime you see Timothy, anytime you hear Paul talk about Timothy, I want you to think about this because it, it just was so significant to Paul's life and what he was able to do to have someone like Timothy. So picking up again, uh, verse 4, Acts chapter 16, he picks up Timothy, then verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. So this is when, you remember we talked a few weeks ago about this big discussion, this big debate about what are the Gentile Christians supposed to do? What are they supposed to observe? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow the law? Do they have to, you know, the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments and all of that? Do they have to follow all that or what? So they have this big discussion, you know, Paul, and, and they travel to Jerusalem, and they talk to Peter and all these guys, and you remember the, the decision came down, hey, just tell them they don't need to be circumcised, none of that. Uh, they don't need to follow the Old Testament law. Uh, there's two things. They need to stay away from sexual immorality. And basically, they need to stay away from idolatry, which had to do with the eating of animals that had been sacrificed and all of that. So just those two things. So now, on this second missionary journey, Paul's going back through all those cities. Because remember, couldn't just text them. No email. <laughs> that sure would have been a lot easier just to email that out to all the, you know, like a group message. Hey, guys, good news. Don't need to follow the law or any of that. Just need to, you know, stay away from this. That could have been about 30 seconds, but no, it's three years in the, in the making of Paul traveling back, which he wanted to go see him anyway, and he wanted to con check on him and all of that, so that was part of it. But he's going back through the, missionary, the, uh, the first churches now, and he's 
of course, building them up. They're strengthening the elders, solving issues, solving problems, any issues that's come up in the church, any, uh, you know, elders need to be replaced, anybody, leaders need to be put back in place. They're going through, they're doing all that, just kind of a health check and things of the churches that they went through. But they're also delivering this message. They're delivering this message from the, from the apostles that, hey, you don't, you don't need to be doing this straight from Peter, straight from John, straight from James, okay? This is what you need to be following and doing. Why was that so important? Again, without quick communication, they, they needed to have a confirmation that, hey, we can hold to this and know this is what's expected of us because they were going to get every church. This is a constant issue in the New Testament. People coming in and teaching false doctrine. People coming in and teaching things that are anti-gospel, that are error, that are heresy, that contradict the gospel, that are distractions, getting you all focused, constantly coming in. So Paul's having to go back through and reaffirm, this is what you need to do. It doesn't matter if anyone else comes in and says something different. If anyone comes in and says something different, you need to ignore that. This is, these are the things that God cares about. These are the things that you need to be doing. So... And, and remember, at this time, these churches would not have had the New Testament. The only thing they had was the Old Testament. And then these letters that are now being written from Paul. So the, the New Testament is being formed. So they have the Old Testament, but and you have Jews coming in saying, well, you're supposed to be following you know, every one of these specific things. And they're, they're trying to say, listen, we've come into a new covenant. Okay? Old, these things have passed, some of these things have passed away, and now we're entering into the, the, the testament of grace. That was the law, but now we're coming into a time of grace. And that's a different system. So, verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia. I'm not sure how to say that. I'm probably butchering that. And Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, what's that about? Does God not like, you know, people in Asia or what? Why, is he, why would he be telling Paul and them not to go to Asia? This is interesting. This is one of those passages of Scripture that's always fascinated me. Um, I love to, to think about this and just, you know, what does this mean? Why did this happen? Uh, what what was on God's mind when he when he gave this instruction? So re- they're going through, and I and I love Paul's mentality and Paul's approach. It's almost like I've got a green light until you tell me I have a red light. In other words, I'm I've got an open door and I'm going anywhere and everywhere that'll hear the gospel. Right? I'm I'm stopping along the way. This city, this city. If I meet somebody, I'm telling them about the gospel. I'm going everywhere I go, I'm preaching the gospel. I've got all green lights. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks up. And this is strong wording, right? It says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, Doug, if you put the map back up, again, this is the old map, but you can still, you can still see uh, where Asia is there. Um, Asia is that big pink blob there. And there's a lot of churches there. There's a lot of cities there, a lot of places there. But they're forbidden to go there. Now, right above Asia, 
that kind of pale green spot, you see Bithynia and Pontius. So now you kind of know where that's at. You can just leave that up, Doug. But it says, uh, they were forbidden to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. That's that, that green part up there. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. So then the question becomes, what, it, what is going on here? Why would God forbid them to in these two massive regions? I mean, this didn't happen on the first missionary trip, right? They went through. and So here's just a few things to think about. I mean, I, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why. We have clues from Scripture that we can talk about. We have... You know, even things from, from uh, church history that we can look at. But just let's talk about uh, a few things. Um, we aren't exactly told the specific reason why. But it would seem that God cared about where they went specifically. Or at least where they did not go specifically. So maybe it was like they had a wide open door everywhere but these two. Kind of like uh, the tree in the garden. Yeah, and you'll notice this sometimes with God. It's like, hey, you could do all of this, but don't do this. None of this really matters. You could do anything, but whatever you do, don't do this. Don't go here. Don't do this. And so you can see that uh, it just makes sense, really, that God would have a specific place for them to go because God already knows where they're going to be effective and when they're, where they're not going to be effective. I can tell you this. I don't think it had much to do with uh, keeping them out of trouble or difficulty or persecution because it would seem like God didn't care much about that and even told Paul later, uh, he said, the only thing I know the Holy Spirit tells me is that everywhere I go, beatings and imprisonments await me. So it didn't seem like it probably had much to do with keeping him out of trouble or pain or anything like that. But God definitely had something in mind. He had, you know, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows every detail. The Bible says every person that ever accepts him, that their names are already written in the Lamb's book of life in advance. Does it, that doesn't mean, well, that's another discussion. They still have free will. It doesn't mean he forces anybody to choose or not choose. It just means he knows the end from the beginning. And so because he knows everything, he's got wisdom on how to do it. I remember when I was first uh, thinking about planting this church, uh, I had another pastor that was familiar with this area uh, said, oh man, he told me, he said, whatever you do, whatever you do, do not plant a church in Alexandria. And I'm like, what? He's like, man, just go somewhere else. I'm like, well, it's not, it doesn't really work like that, does it? I mean, I feel like God's telling me to plant a church. He's like, oh no, God doesn't care where you go. <laughs> He's like, God doesn't care. Just go, just go plant it anywhere. He's like, if, you know, it's the calling. You've got a calling, and you'll be effective wherever you go. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right to me. That, that doesn't make sense to me. That's, that's not how I've done anything in my life. And I think you see that from scriptures like this. Uh, no, I don't think you can just go anywhere that you want to go. Because, first of all, my life is not my own. God has not only you in mind, not only Paul in mind here, but he's got the people that he's ministering to in mind. Okay, so let's just keep a few things in mind as we try to think about this and decipher this. Okay, first of all, know this. The ban was temporary. It was not permanent on Asia, at least. Let's talk about Asia first. 
the ban was temporary because at the very end of the trip, Paul goes to Ephesus, which is at the very, very bottom there in, uh, in Asia. You'll see there. And, of course, we know that that's where Paul had some of his greatest success was in Ephesus. So the ban apparently was temporary, number one. Number two, uh, by bypassing Asia, Paul goes on immediately to the area of Macedonia, which is where... Uh, Philippi was, Thessalonica was, and Berea. This is where, again, Paul had tremendous success in these areas. And people came to the gospel. Churches were planted. They had tremendous success in those, in those areas. We also know that God had big, big plans for Asia. Because all seven of the churches of Revelation are in Asia. So Smyrna... Philadelphia, Pergamum, Ephesus, Laodicea, all these churches from the, the book of Revelation, they're all right there in Asia. But Paul did not, he, he was not the one that planted most of those churches. Um, but we do know that he ended up going to Asia. Now, what ends up happening, without getting too much into it, in the third missionary journey, on the, in the, on the third missionary journey, Paul ends up spending two years in Ephesus. And when he spends those two years in Ephesus, which was the longest, I think, that he spent anywhere, when he spent two years there, it was out of Ephesus that Asia was reached. So from all that, we kind of... Because in Acts chapter 19, you get this. Uh, again, that's not this trip. We're skipping ahead to the third missionary journey. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 19, verse 10... Talking about him being in Ephesus, it says, This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. How about that? Uh, I mean, it could be just as simple as that, that God said, Look, we're going to reach Asia, but we're going to do it a little bit smarter because you only got so much time and you only got so much place. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you influence Ephesus. And out of Ephesus, it says that all the residents of Asia ended up hearing the word of God. So he, he impacted Asia, and excuse me, Ephesus, and transformed Ephesus. And then the gospel out of that one city spread to the whole area of Asia Minor. So it could be that. You know, I, I, I thank God. I can't count how many times God has saved me from wasting massive amounts of time and money <laughs> and energy. Thank God the things that, you know, you go to do things and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't do that. You know, you just get a check in here. No, don't, that ain't for you. Don't spend your time doing that. Boy, how much, how much better would our lives be if we listened to the Holy Spirit and only did those things that he asked us to do? We only got involved in those things that he asked us to get involved in. I know in this church, from the very beginning, that was one of our one of our core values is we are not wasting time doing things that God's not asked us to do. Yeah, but so-and-so wants you to start this, and this one wants you to have this ministry, and this one wants you to... Doesn't matter. I love them. <laughs> but I understood from the very beginning, a lot of those things can be a massive waste of time. Just to appease a person or a group, no, we don't have time to do that. Like, we need to hear from God 
what he wants us to do and be specifically focused on that. And that's where the fruit is anyway. That's where all the fruit is. Otherwise, you just waste time spinning wheels. So, boy, we could all learn from that. And so I don't, I don't know if that's specifically the reason, but I do know that God had big plans for Asia. And what ended up happening was just by reaching one city, he reached the whole region, which was amazing. So God knows how to multiply our efforts if we just listen to him. So what about Bithynia? Well, again, he turns. So when he can't go into Asia, he turns. He says, well, okay, I'm going to go north to Bithynia because Paul's thinking, man, I don't want to skip anybody. I don't want to miss anybody. I want to hit everybody. And then same thing. He says, the spirit of Jesus did not allow us to go in there. Let me, let me stop and say this because I, I talk to Christians so many times and I say stuff like I just said or read stuff from the Bible like it says it, like, why, you know, the, I felt like God didn't want me to do that. And there's a whole group of Christians that will look at you weird when you say that. Like, what do you mean God told you he wants you to do that? I mean, since when did it become that Christians think it's strange that God talks to them? I think it's strange if God never talks to you. Or, I should say, I think it's strange if you never hear from God. Because it doesn't mean that God's not talking. It just means you're not hearing, and you need to figure out why. But you could never walk away from reading the Bible and think it's strange that God speaks to his people. I mean, certainly the Old Testament, right? God's talking all the time. God's showing up in fiery clouds and pillars of smoke and all kinds of stuff talking. Uh, talking through his prophets, talking through his priests. I mean, he's talking all the time. Um, you know, dreams, visions, in the night, talking all the time. But in the New Testament, it doesn't let up. Just read through the book of Acts. One time I went through the book of Acts and listed every time that they, it made a reference to the Holy Spirit said. Go, go read through the book of Acts and highlight every time in your Bible where it says, the Spirit said, or the Spirit spoke, or it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit, like he was a partner in the, in the ministry. Listen, I thank God for the Holy Spirit. I could not do what I do without the Lord. I could tell you so many times that God has saved me, saved our church, saved my family from going in fruitless, purposeless direction, spending time, energy, money, doing things that we should have never been doing but couldn't see it. And thank God the Holy Spirit just checked us in here and we learned to go, well, I'm not doing that. I don't think God's in that. Now, when we talk about hearing God, do we mean with this ear? No. No, not at all. God's a spirit, and he speaks to you by his spirit. Um, but you can learn to hear the Holy Spirit. Just like if I got up on the piano right now, and I played a certain chord, and you have no understanding of music, it, just, it don't mean anything to you. But somebody who plays, Mike could begin to pick out, oh, that sounds like a G or a C, or maybe with a, you know augmented E, this, or whatever. You could start to pick it out the more you understand it. And anybody could be trained to begin to hear it and pick it out. But the first time you heard it, it wouldn't mean anything. And that's how it is a lot with people in the Spirit. They think... Well, I didn't hear God talk. Well, I, but when you start working with people, you can start showing them. Well, you remember, did you, when you were doing that or making that decision, did you feel this? Did you have the peace? Did you know? When they, go, they start going, well, yeah, I kind of had this feeling like, 
okay, well, you were starting to hear something, and you just overrode it, and you ignored it. And by the way, that's the number one way to get the Holy Spirit to shut up in your life is by overriding and ignoring time and time again. But this type of interaction with the Holy Spirit is for every believer. Please understand that. This is not for Paul. This is not for Timothy. Not for the big superstars. It's for every believer. Every believer needs it. You need it in your marriage, in your family, in everything that you're doing. You need the Holy Spirit. He has all wisdom, all knowledge, knows the future about everything, knows everything about everything. How many of you think you could use some of that information in your life? And none of us are perfect at it, but we do have to learn to listen. So, Paul goes up to Bithynia or wants to go up to Bithynia and it says that the spirit of Jesus did not allow us to go. That's the way he says it. Why? Why did he not allow him to go to Bithynia? Well, a few uh, kind of speculations here, clues here from scripture. One thing would be Peter, Peter's effectiveness because Bithynia was one of the main areas that Peter ended up going and and being effective. So we don't know that for sure, but likely that was God had called Peter to that area and he said, Paul, that's not for you. I got other stuff for you to do. And so so Peter had great effectiveness in Bithynia. And in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, he addressed his first epistle to those in Pontius, Bithynia, and nearby provinces who were both Jewish and Gentile converts. So he did a lot of work there. Uh, and then actually Paul never ended up preaching in Bithynia in his whole ministry. He never ended up going there. That was an area where Peter ended up being very effective. So that could have been it. But other than that, we're not really told, but that does make sense. Again, I would say thank God for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 16, verse 9, continuing on. They're, they're restricted from going into those areas, and then they get this. This is another reason, potentially, why they didn't go to those areas. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul. So, first we're told the Holy Spirit forbids them. Then we're told the Spirit of Jesus did not allow us. These are all different terminologies, right? They're, it's never said the same way. It, it's not, we've got three moments of God communicating to them, but then it's all said in different ways. We were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's different than Jesus, right? Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit all have their different function. He says, we were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Then he says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow us. And then here he says, a vision appeared in the night. And if you keep going through the book of Acts, you'll see angels appearing. You'll see angels appearing in a dream. You'll see visions. All different ways that God communicates to his people. I, I believe the number one way that God communicates to his people is just right here in our spirit. And actually, actually, when you read through the New Testament, what you really find Paul saying is that even if you have a vision or a dream, or an angel appears, you still have to judge it by your spirit. He said, because Satan can appear as an angel of light. 
And you can hear things and see things that, oh yeah, very real, but they actually contradict the word of God. So he said, Paul said one time, he said, look, this gospel that I'm preaching to you, let me tell you something. He said, if a man appear, if a man comes to you either, either in person or they write a letter or you see an angel and they communicate something different than this, you need to reject it because it's not from God. So even if you have those types, because we all love, oh, man, I'd love to have a dream. I'd love to have a vision. I'd love to have an angel appear. I'd love to have some miraculous thing. He says, well, even so, you would still have to judge it by your spirit and compare it to the word of God because the only thing in our life that we put that level of confidence in is his word. His word supersedes everything else. So anything you would see or experience has to be judged by the word of God and by your spirit, the Holy Spirit in you anyway. But here, a vision appeared to Paul. Seems like these were multiple different ways that God communicated. Could have been in 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 his spirit, could have heard an audible voice, but here he gets a vision. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, that's Luke. Now Luke is we. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What happens when they go to Macedonia? Well, for of the biggest churches in the New Testament were planted, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, and Ephesus. So we know that by listening to the Holy Spirit, by listening to God, they ended up having the most fruit that they could possibly have in these other areas. So again, this is uh, so important for us, you know, to hear from God. And I, and I talk to Christians all the time that act like God has... They wouldn't say this, but it's how they act. If you just to look at their life. Like God has no say or care even or concern with what I do. I'm, I'm the boss and I, I just do what I want to do. Like if I want to change jobs, I change jobs. If I want to move, I move. If I want to spend money, I spend money. If I want to change churches, I change churches. I just I do whatever I want to do. But did you know as a believer that we're not really supposed to be in charge of our lives and we are supposed to be receiving instruction from the Lord on those things? And how much better our lives would be if we were receiving and following that kind of instruction. And what I hear most of the time when I say that from people is they go, oh yeah, I love that, but I don't ever hear anything from God. Well, here's what I learned a long time ago is that it is a little bit of work to spend time with God and His Word and in prayer to learn how to hear God. But boy, is it worth it. Boy, is it worth it. And those people that think, oh, well, I don't have the time to do that. Listen, you don't have the time to not do that because the time that you waste cleaning up your messes from not following God will far outweigh the amount of time that you spend in in prayer with God and alone with God. He can literally save you years, years by avoiding mistakes, certain things. Well, I could name a few right now. I could name name some that 
it would have been really helpful for Christians to avoid if they could have just listened to God. And I'm going to tell you, he's, he's always talking. He's always talking. And, and we have such a great example of this here. But Paul was not unique. Paul was not special. None of these men were special in that way. They just, they had the Holy Spirit and they have the same Holy Spirit that you have. Same Spirit on the inside of you that was inside of them. Same God, same mission, same purpose. Build the church, spread the gospel to the four corners of the earth. That's the same mission Paul had, same mission we have today, same Spirit. But I do think one of the differences between us and Paul is the amount of time that he spent seeking God. And getting to that place where he could hear from God. 